a Podcast One production. Community is powerful. While we probably at the moment are looking to leaders and to, you know, policymakers to determine our future, I think Bye From The Bush is a great example of the fact that at a very, you know, human and community level, amazing things can be achieved. Welcome to Ladyland, a podcast by Lady Brains, where female founders step into our world. It's a world of change makers and innovators. We're talking to women paving their own way and extracting the very best lessons. We're your hosts, Caitlin Judd and Anna McKenzie, co-founders of Lady Brains, a digital and IRL club for ambitious women who are building businesses of the future. So strap in, fellow Lady Brain, and ride with us to Ladyland. Rural and regional communities are no strangers to struggle and hardship. Whether it's the result of extreme weather conditions, such as the drought and bushfires, or it's the impact of economic recessions. Our guest Grace Brennan saw this as a big problem. The business owners in regional and rural communities struggle to earn a living during these tough times. And so she created a campaign to help solve it, Buy From The Bush. Buy From The Bush was started in 2019. It's an online initiative to highlight regional small businesses and to promote their products, encouraging all Aussies to buy from them. In the first six weeks, Buy From The Bush generated $2.6 million of revenue for their featured businesses, which is a huge achievement. It's so pertinent that we found ourselves speaking to Grace, and there's so much to take away from this chat. In times of challenge, social distancing and uncertainty, we can lean into the lessons of rural and regional communities, including resilience, the importance of connection and keeping your spirits high. From adversity can come great opportunity. And this is a lesson for all of us. Wherever you are, Anna and I hope you're okay. Remember, if you want to connect, you can join our virtual supper clubs to have a wine and have a chat, as well as come and join our Facebook group, the Lady Brains Clubhouse, where we will be hanging out. We hope you enjoy this chat with Grace. I grew up in um, on the lower North Shore in Sydney and um, met a boy when I was young and he was at boarding school and we fell in love and he happened to be from the bush. So I kind of knew from a young age that I might end up in the country and um, subconsciously probably started to carve out some sort of career path that I could do um, in a small country town. So I ended up in community development and worked um, on some Indigenous youth engagement projects and um, and various things and writing resources for kind of succession planning in, in community organisations and, and engaging youth. And then transitioned from that um, into working for a startup business, an online platform that connected farmers with workers, which sounds um, completely unrelated to my previous work. But I met, um, I met this girl who was working with my husband and she had this seed of an idea and was pitching it um, to a Westpac innovation grant scheme. And um, I helped her with her pitch. And strangely enough, um, community work and an online platform like that have a fair bit in common. So I, she came back to me when she won the pitch and asked me to work with her. So I did and eventually kind of um, became a 50% owner of that business and wow. have been working in that for a few years now and then um, came to buy from the bush. So it's a strange marriage of community work and that um, that startup experience of an online platform coming together, I think, in buy from the bush. Can you tell us a little bit more about that startup? Because I think it's interesting, you know, 
the whole startup life is defining the problem, finding a solution, mm. which you can definitely see that you've taken that approach with buy from the bush mm. in terms of designing um, and solving for a problem. Can you tell us more about the startup? Yeah, sure. So it's called Ag Draft and um, you're so right. I mean, I think I've got this kind of intrinsic or innate um, motivation in me if there's like the need is what gets me going. So my husband's a farmer. Um, finding good staff in farming is incredibly difficult. It's quite a broad spectrum of skills that one needs and often underestimated. Plus you're remote. There's the the traditional channels of recruiting staff just don't work and don't really exist. Um, so this idea was an online website basically matching agricultural job seekers with farm um, employers and with a matching algorithm that kind of um, connects the two based on their skill set and experience and location. Um, And the idea was really expanding beyond word of mouth networks, which is what people rely on in the bush a lot. Mm, Um, And also tapping into um, that idea that in farming, a traditional kind of list of credentials that you'd find on a CV doesn't really apply because what farmers are often looking for is this idea of a good attitude, a good work ethic, um, somebody who can kind of get stuck in. And increasingly like that was becoming um, what we knew people wanted, but how can they tell um, through, you know, traditional platforms. So we kind of added video into the platform so wow. people could do it. That's um, really cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Video profile. Yeah, just to get the vibe yeah. uh, of somebody. <laughs> I mean, yeah. which it's really hard. Yeah. It's hard yeah. to capture yeah. a vibe through a CV. So Seriously, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, and like it's one of the biggest pain points in global agriculture is labour. So we were, you know, solving that huge problem through this innovative online platform. That's that's the pitch. I love it. And so in terms of buy from the bush, what was the problem that you identified that you were trying to solve with that campaign? Mm, I think it's layered, but I mean, really, obviously, it was a cash flow problem. Mm. Um, it was about small business needing to access new markets outside their geographic kind of finite resource, which obviously was heavily dependent on agriculture and people in agriculture had stopped spending and were losing jobs and storefronts in um, small country towns were stale. There were no customers coming in. They needed new cash flow, new markets, um, and that meant they needed visibility. And I think that that can't be underestimated as well because that visibility also leads to kind of this injection of hope and support, which I think with the background of COVID might be more understood now than ever before. That idea that people didn't just need dollars, although that was absolutely critical, but they needed their kind of big problem to be recognised and and the suffering that they were experiencing to be recognised. So while it was, you know, obviously just cash flow and, and new customers, it was also this idea of getting their story told. And was there a particular sort of moment or um, experience that you had that really galvanised you to do something about this? I think it was probably three years of wondering and absorbing mm. and, um, you know, observing. But I listened to an interview between the Prime Minister and a journalist and felt there was something being missed in terms of the immediacy of the problem and the human suffering, like the human element of drought and, and this feeling that maybe there needed to be more effective comms on why every Australian should care that there was this 
ridiculous drought going on. Mm, yeah. um, that's when I sat at my bench and um, and created a logo in Canva and then an Instagram account. <laughs> but I then kind of put it away as you do and I went out to lunch and I ran into two friends that day who who brought up suicide um, and, and their concerns over family members. And it just was this kind of realisation that things were as bad, as bad as they get and there was no risk in kind of taking the leap and doing something that mm. could flop. So, um, you know, one moment, maybe not, but it was definitely that day that I realised that I wasn't overestimating the situation and, and may as well have a crack at doing something about it. Have a go. Which you've said, you know, that's the that's the life on the farm is is doing and just having a go at something and, and giving exactly. it a crack. Yeah, giving it yeah, a crack. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's doers everywhere in the bush. And that's the, I mean, ultimately, I think um, I couldn't help on the farm. Like I, I'm pretty hopeless and I could, but I'd be in the way and, and I couldn't make it rain and, you know, but it, I did recognised that I had a skill set. So to engage that skill set in something that might have an impact was what was, you know, motivating me. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. We absolutely love the campaign. And we understand that a lot of those bush businesses um, are actually started by women, which, you know, we're hugely passionate about mm. um, at Lady Brain. So can you tell us a little bit about a little bit more about this, you know, you've obviously got women that are starting these side hustles and these businesses to support um, and supplement the family income. You know, why why is it, I I suppose, on the women to have to do that? And um, Mm. yeah, just can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah. So on Buy From The Bush, I think it's about 96% of the businesses we feature are owned by women, um, which is incredible really. And, um, And a great portion of those are not the primary business in that family. So they might also be partners in the agricultural business or they might have um, other businesses that they're also involved in. So, I mean, I suppose that's the definition of a side hustle, but I think sometimes mm. that is not what how they envisage it. It's almost like um, they just, because in a small town, lots of people do multiple, have multiple roles and multiple jobs. It's just a nature of um, a small market, I suppose. The other thing is that women come out to the bush for all sorts of reasons, but mostly because they're supporting a man in agriculture often um, or a partner in agriculture. And so they come with all sorts of experience and skills. And, you know, you can see it kind of happening over and over again. Somebody moves out and they get settled in and they think, okay, cool, yeah, I'm going to sink my teeth into this country life. And then they think, well, actually, I'd quite like to be doing something that I was, you know, learning mm. about before and that I was working in before. So I'm going to have a crack at it remotely. So there's fashion designers and graphic designers and um, jewellery makers and all sorts of business owners that just happen to be in a remote location. And so I think the seed is planted when there's a drought and cash flow is slow on the farm. Um, the, the the seed of kind of motivation and drive is planted to reactivate that creative element or that um, whatever their previous skill set might be and to have an even greater engagement in that and, and work hard at that. So as I said, there's retailers who are already in business, but suddenly that retail income becomes the income they have to protect because the the farming income has dried up. So retailers work harder, um, women on farm start to hustle a little bit harder on you know whatever their creative pursuit might be. Others see it happening around them and think, well, I'm actually quite good at 
art, um, I'm going to make some Christmas cards and try and sell them in a market. And then um, there's also just a natural kind of level of great business that occurs at all times in small country towns, great innovation, great creativity. And Buy From The Bush was just an opportunity for to highlight that. So... Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's a long-winded answer to your question, sorry. but um, <laughs> No, but it's, it's amazing. I think there's I mean, quite a few elements yeah. to it. Yeah, and, you know, we don't really hear about the business community in regional communities as much as we do as the businesses that exist in cities. And I think one thing that the campaign has done so well is really highlight that there are sophisticated business owners out in these communities and they're creating this amazing value and they're actually doing it even harder than the people that are in the cities because there are all sorts of challenges that come with being remote. So, um, I mean, it's pretty incredible. It is. And I think the other beautiful lesson is that creativity is not restricted by your geographical location. Exactly. I mean, that that's the exciting bit for me. And I also think there's something else that like lots of these women, including myself probably, would have, if they hadn't ended up in the bush, they'd probably be in different careers and they'd be paid by somebody and they'd be happy enough in their work life, getting a salary um, and they would never actually pursue some of these creative avenues. So it's partly out of need and partly out of the fact that they have the space to because mm. there's just not the other industry, you know, absorbing their time. Um, there's not there's not an option to go and get another job. And I think that that's, um, that's a critical element as well. And I agree with you that it, sometimes they, it, I mean, it's even more inspiring when business does well in the bush for me because in that startup role, I remember... Um, pitching to kind of a government rep um, our idea and, and we were seeking capital like every other startup. And I was in the startup hub building in Sydney. So it's full of aspiring startup owners. And he said, you know, with that pitch and that traction, if you're in this building, you'd be funded. And it resonated with me in a big way because I felt mm. it was probably true that being, even though we were remote and we we're actually closer to our, you know, we had... Um, we had a great sense of our customer base as a result of where we lived and we had great networking opportunity, but we were removed from capital and removed from that network that can be so critical for building business. And I do think sometimes when these small micro businesses in the bush grow and grow into really impressive, sophisticated businesses, it's just the most inspiring thing um, because I know the challenges they may have faced along the way. And I think there's a lot that we can take from sort of that at the moment with you know, mm. a lot of people who are now possibly left without a job or have a lot of time and space to be creative and think about new ideas. Um, mm. And we definitely want to dive into that in a little bit. I'm really curious because your campaign has just grown so exponentially, so quickly mm. um, since you started. I think the stats were in the first six weeks, you generated $2.6 million worth of revenue for featured businesses, which is just incredible. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. So how did the campaign gain that momentum early on? I think I might need to kind of, um, I think I might need more time to really assess that. Um, but in my my initial instincts are that I think there was a real appetite from the city and from people across the country to engage in the story of drought and to help. And this was a really... Um, easy way to engage, a fun kind of Christmas shopping campaign. So I think that is an element. I think there was also the fact that there was, wasn't was a lot of cringe factor in sharing, 
sharing buy from the bush. So I didn't have skin in the game. I wasn't a business owner. There was no sales pitch. It was kind of a community buy-in that we were asking for. Um, and I think that that helped with shareability. Um, I also think the very nature of what we were sharing, which was like beautiful products in the lead up to Christmas, there's just something viral about that because everyone tags somebody yeah. that they know might like that product or might need that product. So it was that's just, you know, a very basic element, but I do think it was part of it. And then, I mean, if I look um, if I look kind of critically on it, I think we were clear on really trying to build a community proving impact. Um, so I kind of used stories to share results so that people could see every dollar that they were spending was actually having an immediate impact on business. And I think that that grew motivation and, and again, grew shareability um, and being super consistent in what our, like just staying in our lane. We, we were about drought affected communities. This is how you can help. Um, these are, you know, legitimate, authentic stories that you can engage in. And then a heap of organic PR, basically. So lots of interest from media and being really clear on the message in those early days. And we just based, I, I kind of said yes to everything and was cringing in a major way, having to go on radio and everything, but it <laughs> makes noise. <laughs> I know. Is it getting easier? Yeah. No, no. Cringe, 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 cringe. Um, but it, yeah, I think I know, I just had a sense that we needed to make some noise um, and it for it to be positive and not poor me and kind of change the narrative a little bit. There was a lot of kind of where are you ScoMo messages out there and, and I think this was more about let's let community action take shape and, and create impact. So they're my thoughts on why it was why it grew quickly, but yeah, I think I need to reflect on it a bit more too. You've definitely created some beautiful content. Um, you know, it's engaging, as you said, it's transparent, which I think a lot of people, you know, they want to know where their money is going and the impact that they're having. Can you tell us some of the most successful kind of uh, content strategies that you've d- deployed? Yeah, I mean, my content strategy all along was it didn't need to be perfect. Like it was a pretty imperfect mm. um, feed and and um, in stories. It just needed to be community focused, let it, like sharing human stories about the incredible growth that those small businesses were experiencing when people shopped with them. Um, really kind of, I suppose, agile in terms of if there was a need developing, you know, people wanted to leverage the opportunity of buy from the bush. So we started to ask people, ask photographers to help um, go and take good product shots so that their Instagram feed would look better. And then just sharing that those little stories with people. So um, I think people felt part of a journey and they were feeling part of the kind of groundswell of growth and certainly the shift in rural communities Um moods as people, you know, were suddenly getting a massive injection of cash into their business. So um, the other thing is that obviously content is certainly important and I would love to include every business that has tagged us in our feed, but my feeling is that it needs to be impressive and engaging and or unique. Um, And so basically it's not an all-inclusive project. Like yeah, I, I don't, yeah. I can't feature everybody who asked me to. I really want to feature businesses that will keep people following that feed and not click unfollow when it gets a bit boring or unimpressive. So um, sometimes people would tag me in a photo and I'd write back to them and say, look, there's one good handbag in that 
photo, could you take everything else out and take and try and take a really good photo? And I felt like such a, you know, like I'm not a retail expert. I'm not a fashion magazine editor, but I did have to use my gut a bit on what was going to be engaging. Um, in this particular campaign, it was really important that it was a sh- people were accessing, um, you know, small retailers who didn't have e-commerce capability was for the first time using Instagram to sell product. For example, in my town of Warren, the, the small retailer might use Instagram to keep people inspired, to keep coming into the shop. That's a little bit different to um, featuring a, a product on your Instagram to get a customer and convert them in that moment. So it was a bit of a shift from like, I don't want, I'm not, going to um, show inspiring photos of your beautiful shop front with lots of products. I want like one clear product shot, almost taking out that tyranny of choice that we have online shopping, like just give us one beautiful Mm. photo. And then if people want that, they click through, they buy it. It's, you know, see it, like it, buy it, really clear call to action. So that was also a pretty clear content strategy of mine um, to keep it very focused and um, mm. and easy to engage with. You mentioned gut instinct and how that sort of shaped the content that you um, shared, I guess, and showcased. Did you also track the types of content that performed well versus not? And did that help kind of help you navigate the future direction? Yes, but only anecdotally, really. Like yeah. I have no, um, because we didn't have Initially, it was all social media, no website. So I looked at insights pretty obsessively, um, the Instagram insights, and got a sense of comments, clicks, saves. But also um, I would then write to the business and say, you know, how did that go or or wait for them to tell me. And it is, there is a bit of a pattern, um, but that to me it was as important to include broad spectrum of price point, geography, um, you know, trying to benefit various communities, also trying to, the whole story of Buy From The Bush is to say, we're not just one thing. Like you're not just going to get beautiful relishes and and hand-knitted booties from the country. You're actually going to get some interesting art or um, some really cool boots from Morocco, you know, trying to tell a diverse story of bush business as well. So even if I thought there was a risk in it not having huge engagement, it was still kind of worthwhile to have on the feed for me to paint, Mm. to kind of build the brand and paint a a diverse picture of bush business. So basically my analysis was off Instagram insights (laughs) and anecdotes. I mean, you can obviously, you know, um, get some great insights off the Instagram platform. So yeah, and I think it's an interesting, there's a couple of lessons that I've just sort of thought of now that could be relevant for right now because obviously at the moment everybody's on their phone yeah. content is king brands are investing a lot of time and energy into putting out content and they will continue to do so I imagine over the next sort of months and however long and I think there's a couple of things that you said there that really resonated with me which is really know what your message is mm. and be authentic in that mm. and don't deviate from that and stay in your lane in terms of the content that you're putting out and Go on your gut instinct, but also supplement that with some analysis or some, you know, insights, I guess. So, yeah, it's yeah, interesting. I'm, I'm totally obsessed with that um, messaging element and having your voice, like the voice thing, which you hear about so much in, if you if you engage in any sort of Instagram workshop, um, but knowing why, like the purpose of, of the voice, so not just the consistency, but what are you trying to do with that voice? And um, if it's just 
following a formula of, you know, what you've heard gets good engagement in Instagram. I think people are so savvy. And, you know, I, I often look at um, Instagram accounts and go, okay, yeah, so this person is showing me um, they've had a terrible day. So that's showing me their vulnerability. And then at the end of their post, they're going to ask me a question so that I can write an answer. And that's going to get them big engagements because it's going to get them more comments. Like it's almost like consumers are that, as soon as there's a formula, you're you're almost tuned into it as a consumer mm. or as a follower. And I think it's so refreshing when, you know, you just feel like you're connecting with um, a person through Instagram in a real way because maybe they're not following a formula, but there's a clear purpose to why mm. why you're engaged in that account. Um, and I think voice can do that in a major way. So as well as image, and um, yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty obsessed with that. So we've spoken a bit about your brand, but I'm interested to hear what you have to say about the Bush brand. Um, You have been quoted to say that this needs to evolve. What does the current Bush brand look like and why do we need to evolve it? I think there's an expectation that rural is simple and probably cheap and cute um, and this idea of a bush battler which gets so much traction and um, I think it's up to rural communities to tell a more modern story of what we're about and I mean on a very basic level having come from the city and married into farming me learning about the complexity of agriculture and the skill set that farmers modern farmers need to run a farming business, you know, they're, they're traders, they're, you know, commodity traders, they're scientists, they're mechanics, all in a day's work, basically. Um, and they're, and they're trading, you know, they're managing multi-million dollar businesses. And yet I think most of the rhetoric and mo- most of the kind of the depiction of farmers is pretty, you know, simple, laconic, um, and it's, and it's partly farmers fault. That's what they'd have you believe. But there's so much more to it. And it's the same for small business in rural communities. So I think that can be celebrated a lot more. I think we, it would be great if we were looking to um, the bush, not just in times of crisis like drought and flood, but actually looking to celebrate what it has to offer, which is really quite unique. There's creativity and kind of a, a genuine product that I think in the in a world of kind of meaningful consumption presents a real opportunity. Um, and that's that's what I think should be marketed a little bit more, the story behind the product, the story behind the business um, and getting consumers to buy into that also. Yeah, you're really shifting perception mm. um, in terms of what, yeah, what people think, city, city people. City folk. C- city folk <laughs> think about... Um, yeah, farmers and I guess the business community out in the re- you know in the regional areas. So um, it's it's pretty incredible, and you've managed to do that um, really well. Was that always your intention with the campaign, or did you kind of evolve in that way once you started to gain traction and and PR etc. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's not. It wasn't my intention. It was just once there's an opportunity, <laughs> yeah, you take it. Um, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, like that's how I've always felt, and I I think when you're an outsider living, you know, when you come from the city and you move to the bush, you ha- you see it through um, 
outsider's eyes. So you can see things that possibly are underestimated on a local level. And so I feel comfortable shouting it from the rooftops way more than... There's just such an innate modesty in the bush um, that they probably won't ever do it naturally. So my sisters had come out and they'd love to drop into the boutiques around me. And I think, you know, in the city, you get so used to so much choice, but you often, you basically go to a mall, there's high street stores, there's big department stores. You don't as often get that beautiful experience of, you know, a curated boutique. So um, my sisters would say, oh God, I wish they were up the road from me in, ta- in you know, back in Sydney. So it wasn't an intention by any means to have some grand kind of um, strategic plan to celebrate the bush. <laughs> it just was about injecting new customers into these businesses in the times of drought. But once there was interest, there's definitely a story to tell. Mm. I love this idea of seeing an opportunity and jumping on it and acting on it. And I think there's a lesson there at the moment um, because a lot of people probably, as I said before, have the time, have the space to, um, to I guess, to create opportunity, although it might be difficult to kind of see that mm. at the moment. How, like, what advice would you give for people who might be listening, who might be looking to create something or start something at this time? What advice would you give to them in terms of how to do that? Oh, I feel so um, unqualified because what we're staring down the barrel of is so unusual and, and yeah. unprecedented. Presented, but if I was just talking in in general terms, I would say, if you take away the stress and anxiety of having to achieve perfection mm. um, in launching your business or in or in diversifying or in pivoting your business, and just think about progress, and especially at a time like this, there, you know, hopefully in some ways there may be greater freedom in trying new things because um, the stakes in a way are so high and why not now more than ever? So I think if you take away that kind of, it doesn't need to be perfect before you launch, if you get it in the market and and try for progress and learn along the way and just put yourself in really uncomfortable positions, then that's where you have to be to achieve great impact and change and and reward, I think. Um, My experience of the startup um, world was that I had this real allergic reaction to it initially. Like I, I remember going to my first, there was a big pitch event and my partner was pitching and I was saying, what is everyone talking about? Like it's all bullshit. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, it just doesn't mean anything. Like what are they, what is, what is it? What, what are they talking about? <laughs> What's this jargon? <laughs> yeah, jargon everywhere and also all about um capital raising and not really about customer and need. And Mm. um, like there was just so much fluff I felt. And I think at the moment, I mean, the things that are going to work are going to be responding to this weird changing environment. There'll be all sorts of needs arising, like innovation and efficiencies and learning will be Mm. rife. And um, if, yeah, if people are focused on meeting a need and also just being, you know, I think it's such a female thing to be committed to to making things perfect. And I've learned that, you know, progress is probably more important. So they're, you know, some muddled insights at a really crazy time, but you have to put yourself in an uncomfortable position and just know what your unique offering is, both as a person and a business and a, or a service that you're offering. Like what is that um, and really leverage that as much as you possibly can. 
Mm, I think that's some really great advice. We were just having this conversation that, you know, the rule book has almost been thrown out. Anything mm. goes, you know, we're all just trying to figure this out and move forward. Um, and that kind of gives you the license to try new things um, exactly. and just, you know, not worrying too much about making it perfect um, because who knows what we'll discover in, um, in just, you know, being creative and, and giving something a go. And I think also like, for, you know, um, from a female perspective, I often kind of tried to keep work separate from my personal life and my personal experience was very different to my professional experience and I only ever felt kind of vulnerable and insecure in a work context, not really outside of that. And what Buy From The Bush did was kind of allow me to engage every element of my personal experience as well as my professional experience and not be shy of, of meshing the two together. And I think COVID or any crisis will do the same, you know, they'll have to call on all their instincts and all their experience and skills quite outside the box probably in order to achieve great things. So I think, I don't know, that that to me is an empowering idea. Forget what you thought you could offer your workplace and start thinking about what you know you can, you know, call on from the depths of your insides mm. and, and make it work. Yeah. And I think one of the great things about your campaign is it kind of, uh, me anyway, gives me hope. Um, I think, you know, it, sh- it showcases the fact that women, men in remote communities who don't have anything can start something from nothing, even in a, in a time mm. of real struggle and exactly. um, financial struggle. So I think it really, you know, offers me some, some hope in terms of um, hopefully other people can create that same value and opportunity out of this struggle. Yeah, I think so too. I think there's community is powerful. So while we probably at the moment are looking to leaders and to, you know, policymakers to to determine our future, I think Buy From The Bush is a great example of the fact that at a very, you know, human and community level, amazing things can be achieved. And how's the current situation affecting rural communities and, and those businesses in the bush? Have you seen an effect? Yeah, I mean, um, I think small business in the bush are as you know, very concerned. I mean, they're coming off the back of a very difficult period anyway. Um, many of the businesses I'm in touch with have had this great hope over the last couple of months mm. and a great kind of spike in energy and um, investment. And now this is worrying. You know, some of them have taken on extra staff. I think, um, you know, a portion about a fifth of the businesses we featured employed new people as a result of the growth and and so that's going to be stressful um, and we're hearing from those people. They're also kind of thirsty for information. Mm. But one thing and one little, you know, one little hope is that many of them have kind of achieved new, you know, business growth milestones. So they've created online websites where they didn't have them before Um, and so it's, you know, at least they've got the opportunity of hustling in an online, you know, digital format rather than just the the markets and the, um, you know, social media business that they were running beforehand. So there, as you said, there will be opportunity. It's just where it is and how people can leverage it. And I think, um, I think it's, a bit of an unknown. The, the the great positive is that there's been rain in so many areas. So mm. hopefully cash flow will be flowing um, through agriculture and balancing out, you know, hopefully that they've got a bit of time. Mm. 
I guess we're going through COVID right now and um, for a lot of people in the city, this is a relatively new experience in terms of feeling anxiety and stress. Um, How can we keep our spirits high? How can we keep not just our businesses and our jobs afloat, but our, you know, ourselves, how can we keep mm. going? What have you learned from your experiences with, you know, people out in um, rural communities that have, that have struggled for so long? As I said, I think a sense of community and a shared experience is really powerful at a time like this. And we can't be together physically, but we know online communities and virtual communities um, offer us so much. So I think, engaging in that in a really positive way um, and choosing the positive um, communities rather than the negative ones will be critical. Um, And I also think that there's going to be great pragmatism and, you know, we've seen a great practical kindness through Buy From The Bush that I'm sure will will continue in other avenues um, through COVID. There'll be all sorts of ideas popping up and community spirited action for sure. The other thing is I'm big on um, on you know on the words we choose to use and the and the storytelling element. Um, uh, like I think there's it's so easy to dwell in the catastrophizing and you know people have fears for great reason at the moment and there's a lot to be worried about. But I just think there's also a great responsibility that we have to talk in positive terms when we can and to engage in positive language when we can and collective kind of community spirited um, support rather than I think the Australians have, because we've been so, you know, relatively comfortable and um, things have been going pretty well for us, we are so critical and we're so, we have such high expectations of um, our leaders, but of also of, you know, of services. And, and I just think dialing that back for the sake of um, some kindness and support might be really critical at a time like this. And I was only hearing on my way here today that, you know, we should be, we should be engaging in this like we would a wartime scenario and actually unity is what we need. And I, I really believe that. It sounds a bit fluffy, but um, it's all about the words we use, you know, online and also in person and trying to get community buy-in in a really positive way wherever we can. Like this, you know, I'm, I know there's a lot of um, scary stuff going on, but mm. I think optimism and positivity is infectious. So... Absolutely. I could not agree more. And especially around your comment earlier around finding your online community, finding your tribe, finding the people Mm. that are experiencing the same things as you and kind of sharing sharing and, and listening, I think is so important. I mean, we um, we run supper clubs for female founders and all of mm. these are now online um, and we've been sort of doing them by Zoom and, you know, having wines with each other in, in our, you know, separate houses. But just the conversation has been completely around sharing um, struggles and support and it's just been, it's been honestly incredible. Um, I bet. Just to to kind of hear that other people are going through the same shit that we are and and and, and we're all in it together. Mm. That's right. Maybe there's a honesty that occurs now that wasn't um, possible before and that honesty will lead to great learning um, and great change. You know, that's, that's a silver lining. I think when people facing great hardship, there's some sort of letting go of the bullshit and, um, and those 
online communities, there's no greater time for, you know, information sharing and learning. Um, so I, I can only imagine mm. what value you're providing at the moment. I mean, I think that's what people are just looking for, you know. I mean, yeah. that's what we're looking for as well, isn't it? It's just... Definitely. That's what we're Absolutely. looking for. But also it's giving people a space to to be vulnerable, you know, and like vulnerability, um, it breeds, you know, trust um, and it also encourages, you know, deeper connections between people. And yeah, as you said, it it's incredible. We're seeing this um, exchange of information. And once we all start to teach each other and learn from each other, incredible things are going to happen. You know, the, the our society is going to take, you know, huge steps forward, which we might not be able to see now. Yeah. But down the track, we'll, we will. We'll be able to look back and go, wow, wasn't that incredible? Wasn't that amazing that, you know, we shared those things with each other and look where we are now. Um, and that's the hope that we have and that mm. we need to hold on to. Yeah, and it's kind of reminiscent of the bushfire um, response mm. as well, I think. That was such an incredible you know, seeing people come yeah. together to support mm. the rural communities who are affected. And um, I think we're starting to see that now as well online, exactly. which is fantastic. So we're curious, um, obviously Buy From The Bush is a side project for you at the mm. moment. Mm. Um, but you work very hard. But you work incredibly hard. <laughs> but you work incredibly hard. It's probably your second full-time job, yeah. I imagine. <laughs> How are you monetizing or are you planning on monetizing? Is that your goal? Yeah, great. Um, well, that's probably the most um, the thing that most people are interested in. We, it was never our goal. Um, I didn't anticipate the growth and the opportunity. I suppose that would come of it. And now, and so for a long time, we were kind of trying to decide between whether it'd be a not for profit or a for profit. Um, and in, I mean, I'm all about support for the bush being long-term, sustainable, and um, it's about investment and not charity, really. So um, with that in mind, we really hope to make this a self-sustainable business um, and commercialise it. And we need to basically to sustain our investment in it. It's myself and another friend working on it and um, Georgie in Wagga who does our PR. So we absolutely need to commercialise. We, we've been... <laughs> The COVID crisis has certainly put basically everything that was on the table in terms of our commercialisation processes, paused that for a little bit and mm. lots of projects have now been paused or delayed um, for who knows how long. So it's a difficult time to say what we will become and what we will do, but the intention is that we will turn this into a business that will allow us to grow the Bush brand and grow our impact and, and continue to support rural communities into the future. And I think that in a way, a commercial business is better placed to do that than a not-for-profit. All right. Well, we will keep our eyes and ears peeled yes. for what you're doing yes. over the coming months and years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So a couple of final questions before we wrap up. We wanted to give you the opportunity to do a bit of a shout out. Shout out. Um, we think that, you know, connections and, and um, networks are really, really important. And I think you've highlighted that that's Difficult for rural business owners to cultivate, but even more important for them as well. Mm. We want to give you the opportunity to do a bit of a shout out to one woman who has helped you on your business journey. Great. Okay. Am I allowed to do two? Of yes. course. That's yep. so annoying. No, I hate no go for it. Everyone, everyone usually picks two. It's fine. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So firstly, um, my business partner in AgDraft, Ella Delaney, um, who, who really introduced me to... Um, 
startups, online platforms, um, you know, th- that whole world that I hadn't had a dose of. And, um, and we worked re- like we work really well together um, in a partnership with all sorts of kind of um, typical female, you know, conflicting interests like family and babies. And, um, and she's just been really, I um, have learned a lot from her. And having so enjoyed it. And then secondly and more recently, I've had this incredible um, help from Jane Kay, who is the founder of Bird's Nest, an, an incredible bush business that um, has grown well beyond um, its small rural community of Cooma. And um, she is a guru at online retail and all sorts of things. And she has offered her help to me um, in a really practical, incredible way and, and been mentoring me a little bit Um so she has certainly helped in a really recent context and, and she's somebody who I who inspires me. Mm, I love Amazing. it. And Grace, finally, you know, you are a giver and we want to give you the opportunity to ask. Um, so what is one <laughs> thing that you need right now? Clarity. Lots of clarity. <laughs> yeah. Don't we all? Yeah, we all need oh that. God. Oh, my God. Um I think, I mean, ultimately what Buy From The Bush needs is capital and a team. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, all sorts of projects have been paused at the moment. So that's the one thing that that will grow Buy From The Bush and and help us achieve our goals. That's, I mean, it couldn't be bigger in my ask. It couldn't be more broad. (laughs) Um, It's not a specific ask, but ultimately that's the next, that's the next hurdle for us. The next phase. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for your time and for coming into the studio. And yeah, we really appreciate you making the effort. It's been fantastic. No worries. That was a pretty powerful chat. And one thing Grace taught us is that incredible things really can come from hardship. Rural and regional communities have been dealing with extreme conditions like droughts and floods, bushfires, recessions for so many years. But from this struggle, business opportunities have emerged. Despite what we're all going through, there is an opportunity here for you right now. You just need to find it. Be creative and remember, progress over perfection. There are literally no rules right now. So flesh out some ideas, put them into the world and just see what happens. Grace also spoke about how the Buy From The Bush campaign galvanised and incentivised a lot of small businesses to take their business online. Many of them built websites, social media profiles and invested in online content, allowing them to reach new audiences and new customers. That's a pretty relevant lesson for all of us right now. So if you've got the time, which you probably do, invest it in building your presence online. And lastly, Grace spoke a lot about community. Building and belonging to a community is all about supporting others and in turn being supported yourself. Rural and regional communities have and continue to do this so well and now is the time for all of us to find our tribe online, showcase vulnerability and show up for each other. We've taken our Lady Brains community online and we would absolutely love for you to join us. Our supper club is now virtual. It's a place where we can have conversation and connect with each other. You know, there are so many shared challenges and uncertainties that we're facing right now, but this is such an awesome opportunity to get some inspiration and support. The biggest thing to remember is you are not alone in this and it is going to be okay. We will all come out on the other side. So please come and join us in our Facebook group, the Lady Brains Clubhouse. We will be in there a lot. And we would love for you to join us over a wine at our supper club. You can get access to tickets via our website, ladybrains.com.au. 
Ladyland is a Podcast One Australia production. The producer is Brooke Carrigan. Audio production by Matt Nikolic. For more great podcasts, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app.